the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Um, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Joe Napoti, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour um, is senior fashion writer at The Guardian. She has written for Elle, Vogue, and The Telegraph. Uh, She has a uh, new book called The Ten, The Stories Behind the Fashion Classics by Lauren Cochran, and she joins me by phone from London. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Um, Lauren, what are the some of the ten things that you consider fashion classics, and, and how did they become classic? Um, well, some of them, so you might think, uh, so some of the ten in my book are uh, a pair of jeans, uh, a biker jacket, a white t-shirt, uh, a trench coat, uh, for example, um, and there's obviously 10 of the items. Um, and they all became fashion classics in different ways. I guess that's part of the sort of uh, story that's told within the pages of the book is it's basically how each one of those uh, gained their fashion status and their classic status. Um, I was surprised to see how many things that are considered quite casual were mm-hmm. on the list. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I suppose one of the sort of um, premises of the book was, um, uh, you know, as, as you said in your introduction, I, I work in fashion. I've worked in fashion for uh, nearly 20 years. And often fashion is kind of considered sort of like something sort of on a higher level. It's very sort of like seen as luxury and um, about catwalk and glamour and, and all those kind of things. And obviously it is all of those things. But also it's the things that we wear every day. And I suppose that's the sort of point of view that I was taking in the book. I actually wanted, I specifically sought out things that um, 
that people wear every day. I mean, obviously, not everyone wears, for example, a pair of stilettos every day, but, you know, they're familiar items to, to most people. Right, and and this is a little parenthetical to our conversation, but I, I, but I was thinking about it before we started talking this morning, Lauren. Um, I, you know, I've been talking with so many people from different walks of life over the last year, year and a half, uh, about the impacts of the pandemic on their industries mm-hmm. and, and so on. How has it, were there fashion trends or did that just get put on hold for a year? Oh, no. I mean, in a way, it's because um, most trends, you know, the trends that really sort of make an impact um, are somehow wedded to our lifestyles in in general, and um, so, so during the pandemic, they uh, were, you know, affected by how we were living. So most, you know, people that were working in offices were now working from home. So we had trends for kind of much more comfortable clothes. So there's a sort of trend for uh, sweatpants. Yeah, um, which, business, you know, business on the top, party on the bottom. <laughs> because <laughs> exactly. of the, because of the Zoom ready. calls. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, yeah, no, it definitely, um, yeah, fashion just adapts for uh, whatever sort of we are, our lifestyles are um, sort of presenting as a, as a kind of, I suppose, the closing demands and the closing challenges um, that, that kind of consumers are facing at that moment. Well, and we certainly saw an evolution in the decorative nature of masks. Oh, God, yeah, that's so true. Um, and just in sense of, like, the, the mask is, is now a sort of um, a fashion statement in itself, isn't it? Well, yeah, I'm starting to see masks that are coordinated with tops. And, you know, the, um, <laughs> it's it's really quite interesting. And, and some are, you know, cartoon favorites and, you know, other things. Some uh, I've seen some that were made to look like the rest of the person's face. Um, oh yeah, it, it's it's been really interesting to see the different things that have evolved with the mask. It's it's like if we can somehow, and and maybe that that's what fashion is all about. If we can somehow express ourselves through mm-hmm. what we wear, we'll find a way to do it, even when it's something oh, medical yeah. like a mask. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, I think that's totally true. It's kind of part of human nature. I mean, if you think about another example of that is kind of school uniforms. So, you know, when, like, teenagers will always find a way to not wear the sort of, um, what's it called, like, the issued version of their school uniform. You know, like, in the 60s, uh, I talk about this in the book, actually, in the miniskirt chapter, how... Um, you know, that classic thing of, of girls kind of rolling up the skirts so they're shorter. Um, or, you know, I remember when I was at school, we had, like, um, these sort of sweatshirts and you had to roll your sleeves up in a certain way. And it's, it's those kind of things. It's, and, and the mask, I suppose, is part of that, although in a kind of... <laughs> with, a, with a sort of medical uh, message at the base of it, it's a bit different. Um, but did um, the, the regular big fashion houses and and fashion shows and all that have to go on hiatus uh, throughout 2020 um they didn't ha- they didn't go on a 
hiatus exactly. They kind of like just evolved and changed with what was possible. So some of them did uh, sort of uh, like shows with very small audiences. Um, and obviously because um, the pandemic sort of has it's happened in ways. I mean, this, I'm particularly talking obviously about Europe, which is where I am. Um, and I know it's probably the same in the States. But um, so uh, some of the they did have a few fashion shows um in kind of italy for example with very small audiences in the last summer um and then they've also had um kind of socially distanced uh shows um and and but the vast majority uh has switched as as most industries have to digital um and it's still basically like that i mean there's kind of talk that we might get back to kind of more physical shows um in September, which is the next round of major fashion shows. I think Mark Jacobs is doing a, a, a real-life fashion show in New York. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it kind of it, it adapts the fashion industry because there's a lot riding on those shows. They kind of, like, produce so much hype for the brand that they need to do them in some manner. You know, it's it's interesting. I've, I've watched fashion shows from afar, over the mm-hmm. course of my life and it always seems like there are these big dramatic statements made mm-hmm. on the catwalk but how much of that really ends up on the shelves at the corner dress shop mm, it's interesting it really depends on the designer um so you know some uh i'm trying to think of a good example um so um, Alexander McQueen, when he used to do fashion shows, um, the, the clothes that were on the catwalk would just never, they wouldn't have even been put into production. So they would have just been there as part of a kind of piece of theatre, basically. So his shows were about kind of um, presenting his vision to the world, for example. But then someone like, um, so for Mark Jacobs, for example, or um, Stella McCartney, they uh, often produce the, the kind of pieces that are on the catwalk um so i i mean i i can't think i've got i've got a Stella mccartney skirt that i got in a sample set that i was very pleased about because it was actually on the catwalk um but then you've got kind of what they have what they also have is what they call a selling collection or a commercial collection so they will so they'll show um some clothes on the on the catwalk and then when uh the buyers from the stores come to buy the clothes there will be the pieces on the catwalk, or some of them, not always, all of them. But then at, at the same time, there'll also be a selling collection, which is much more kind of commercial pieces, kind of pe- pieces that, you know, you and I might want to wear, um, sort of easier to kind of digest. <laughs> <laughs> and, and afford for some of us. Well, yeah, a few of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, when, when something is shown uh, like that on the catwalk, Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's not really meant for mass production. Um, mm-hmm. How much does it influence dressmakers that are doing mass production in the kinds of things they're likely to produce? Um, it's an interesting question. I mean, it's kind of like it's one of those things that's sort of not sort of quantifiable as such, but you can definitely tell. Um, there were also were designers that kind of um, more kind of high street brands. Uh, like so kind of you know um affordable affordable fashion that um designers at those brands will look to because they know that they will they're influential 
Um, so, for example, at the moment, I suppose you would say kind of Balenciaga would be one of them. Um, uh, Saint Laurent. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones. Off White. Um, sort of people like that. They will be looking to, to those designers because they know that they have like uh, a big kind of following um, both on social media and just sort of in general. People look to those brands. They're kind of the influential ones. They're seen as kind of like, what would you call them, like the thought leaders um, of the industry. So, yeah, so they would then kind of think about their shapes, for example. I mean, sometimes you see kind of quite blatant kind of quote-unquote homages to uh, <laughs> designers' work. <laughs> I, 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 you are really trying hard not to say knockoffs. <laughs> well, you know. but but aren't there certain things that show up on the catwalk that are very easily uh translatable to everyday clothing like prints skirt mm. length colors those kinds of things yeah exactly so stuff like that um will often be so that's more like a trend rather than specific designers work will often be across various different brands so, for example, say like mini skirts are in one year or one season, sorry. Um, then I like say uh, H&M or someone like that will go, OK, so we need to kind of make some some short skirts because that's kind of going to trickle down to our consumer. Um, and, and, and so that's sort of how it works. I mean, there's, there's a kind of level of kind of what we call a trickle down effect from catwalk brands. I mean, but the, the other thing to note is that it's not just catwalk brands that influence um, what are in the stores as well. I mean, you know, you've got all sorts of things, like everything from kind of celebrities to films to, uh, like, social media, what people are wearing on TikTok, you know, um, all sorts of things kind of feed into that. Um, although the catwalk is still very influential. And you mentioned the, the season versus year. What is <laughs> what is the fashion season? Well, so it, or are there multiple um, seasons? Yeah, so the the sort of um, uh, the kind of entry level way of understanding it is the two seasons. So there's um, what we call you call we we call um, spring. So you would call spring and fall seasons. Okay. And the spring the spring collection. So say the spring um, the spring twenty. 22 collections bear with me uh will be shown in september so they're always shown um six months before they're in okay they're in the store so okay. um yeah so just just now just just now like so a couple of months ago we saw the uh full 21 collections um, I see. So that's how that's how it works. Gotcha. And then, as well as that, yeah, as well as that, there's also kind of um, what are called um, cruise and resort collections, Lauren, which are kind of almost like. Um, Lauren, I hate to interrupt, but I have to go to break here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Of course. All right. Yeah, no problem. My guest <laughs> is Lauren Cochran, and she is the senior fashion writer at the Guardian and author of a new book called The Ten. The stories behind the fashion classics. And we'll talk fashion and more with Lauren after we let our broadcast partners squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right back. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back, everybody. We continue now with my conversation with senior fashion writer from The Guardian and author of The Ten, The Stories Behind the Fashion Classics, Lauren Cochran. Lauren, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. (laughs) No problem at all. It's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We were talking a little bit about how um, the... uh, fashion on the catwalk influences um, the the trends of, of clothing uh, and, and the various seasons. I, re- I remember a thing that happened years ago, and I was working as a professional. I had to wear mm-hmm. a suit and tie every day to work, and mm-hmm. this thing came along called Casual Friday, and people that weren't keen <laughs> on the idea said it was a slippery slope, and that all formality would end up being tossed out the window, and that's exactly what <laughs> happened. Um, it, it has formality become not in vogue? Um, it's a it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I think it's still I think we're still kind of in a transitional phase with that. Um, I think you can't. Um, Two, I mean, obviously, the pandemic had had a kind of massive uh, influence on that with, with so many people who were previously working in offices in suits, working from home. But also before that, like a lot of the things that have kind of changed during the pandemic, it was sort of um, like in the post anyway. So um, the biggest influence there is, is kind of the rise of Silicon Valley and how um, people like very, very successful people who work um, in the digital realm don't dress in the way that sort of um, uh, that has sort of spelt success in the past, um, I guess particularly in menswear. So if you think about someone like Mark Zuckerberg, who's like the perfect example, yeah. who um, <laughs> always wears a t-shirt and a hoodie, and I think and sneakers. You know, I mean, he's kind of like he. I don't think he's sort of ever really worn a suit that, that I know of, anyway. Um, so it's kind of I guess it's about the sort of shift between. Um, what kind of um, marks success now? Um, I talk about this in a little bit in the book in um, the hoodie chapter where um, I talk about how it's almost like a humble brag kind of idea of success. Like you don't need to wear a suit, you don't need to dress up to show that you are, you know, I mean, in his case, a billionaire. Well, um, I, so, I, yeah. I'm, I'm old enough to remember back several decades when people used to dress up to travel if they were going to fly, mm. for example. And then mm. travel gurus started saying, no, don't dress up, dress down uh, to not mm. attract, you know, pickpockets and other ne'er-do-wells and so on. And, <laughs> and, and it really completely changed. And it was a lot more comfortable, <laughs> you know, to yeah. wear jeans, <laughs> jeans and a sweatshirt or something, you know, to, to sit on uh-huh. a plane. And, you know, things, I remember restaurants where um, it was common to dress up. And now I, mm. the restaurants that I go to, um, I, you know, unless it's uh, lunchtime in a business district or something, I, I, I just don't see jackets mm. and ties and, and the kinds of, uh, you know, dresses and, and things that mm. used to be commonplace. They're just not anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is a shift in terms of the sort of a generational thing. 
Um, and I think it's also just that um, there's not that, uh, I suppose there's not that expectation anymore um, to, to have that kind of like level of um, dress code, I guess. We don't really have so many dress codes these days, do we? Right. That's, I, I guess that's what I was getting at, and, and I'm yeah. I'm blaming it on Casual Friday. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've got a point. You do have a point there, I think. <laughs> uh, but how did fashion consciousness first awaken? Oh, what in, in terms of like the beginnings? Um, well, I mean, I think it's sort of. I mean, obviously, you know, I don't think people uh, people who were living in caves were that concerned with fashion. But um, once we had sort of a, a sort of level of society and civilization, um, fashion has always been kind of it's been sort of used um, as as a kind of form of self-expression. Obviously, it's been used as um, clothes are always a way to kind of you know they're practical, aren't they? You need to wear clothes to keep warm or to kind of um, sort of protect yourself from the elements or, or whatever. But the the sort of idea of wearing clothes as a sort of um, a form of self-expression or a, and a, a form of sort of or presentation. A, or a symbol of class or rank. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it was, I think, these days, um, it, that kind of idea is, um, well, the idea of sort of self-expression through clothing is more accessible to people. But, um, you know, sort of back in the day, um, it was very much a privilege, basically, because... Um, people who didn't have a kind of disposable income would have very few clothes and those clothes would be worn for, for years and um, sort of amended and, and kind of changed to adapt to um, what they were needed for. Um, but they were always kind of um, quote-unquote fashion icons. You know, I mean, even someone like Marie Antoinette, for example, um, it was a sort of um, all, uh, Queen Elizabeth I they were very much kind of held up as kind of a, a sort of for, for, for other people who did have disposable income, they would be seen as a, as the sort of, um, I don't know, what would you say, like the Victoria Beckham of their day or the fashion um, icon, Kim, Ka Kim Kardashian of their day. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so it, it, there's, there's always been that kind of, um, you know, uh, the kind of the trends and the kind of the, the changes in how we dress, I guess. Um, the fashions, as you would, as you would kind of um, call it, I guess. Well, they were fashion icons. Mm, oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, I mean, that's kind of continued, hasn't it? It's, it's sort of, uh, you know, you could say that people, that people today, like you know, like I don't know, think about kind of a um, someone who influences what young people wear, like Bella Hadid or someone like that, is kind of standing on the shoulders of those people. She has obviously has no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of it's a tradition that kind of goes back a long way. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting when you sort of think about it like that, how it's always, that, that sort of um, notion has always been there. There's always been those people to kind of hero worship in terms of their style. Now, here in the States for the Academy Awards, there's, there's always this big production about the red carpet and the people arriving mm -hmm. in limousines and stepping out in their, their finest attire. And, and even people commenting on the clothing as they enter the building. Do you think we'll see a return to that post-pandemic? Or has the pandemic kind of knocked those things off their pedestals? I still think people like seeing 
red carpet moments. I just think it's a kind of form of, well, it's a definitely two things. I think it's partly a form of escapism. And they like seeing the sort of like the ultimate glamour of those kind of occasions. Um, and also, I think quite a lot of people sort of like to hate on them, the outfit. <laughs> there um, is that. You know, yeah. And I just think um, that sort of those, those two sort of um, motivations probably are going to remain. Because, you know, we still like looking at people who are sort of um, who live very different lives to us you know, who live those sort of, like, limo lives, you know, we, we kind of, are, we've, we're fascinated by them, aren't we? Um, and also, obviously, there was some kind of red carpet this year, um, sort of a, a sort of, um, it, it sounded like the, the sort of, the rules around it were a bit painful, but there was definitely some, uh, some people in nice frocks, as we call them in England. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just looking at kind of the, like Regina King, Carrie Mulligan, et cetera, et cetera. And some people kind of obviously um, weren't, weren't there, but it, it still has a kind of, um, yeah, people st- I think people still love looking at stars in dresses. Which... Um, which has the bigger impact on the general public, um, the the fashion industry or celebrities and their choices? I think probably celebrities, and especially if you add in kind of um, influencers. Um, that's I think that's what I was do. wondering: is who the the influencers yeah. are. Um, at, at least as it, as it pertains to fashion. Um, in terms of who has the sort of um, big influence on, on what people wear. Yeah, um, I, I mean, we see it with hairstyles and clothing, you know. Mm. Um, well, I do think, like, like, so people like, at the moment I would say people like Bella Hadid, uh, Hayley Baldwin, um sort of I, all like it seems like Rihanna has never really ha- had a kind of bad I don't think I've, I've ever seen her looking bad she's got a huge influence on on what young people wear I think still um who else um I mean in terms of like uh, guys I would say like Timothy Chalamet uh the actor Little Nas X the rapper um who else I'm trying to think um oh Kanye West is still hugely influential um uh, which obviously gap have bet have bet on recently signing him up to a 10-year deal um trying to think if there's any other kind of people that sort of um uh, are always i mean even sort of like you know obviously the other kardashians the, the uh, kendall jenner kylie jenner um and i mean even sort of people who are a bit kind of have been around the block a little more, as we should, we should, we could say. Like so, so Kate Moss still has influence on what, what young people wear. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of sort of. Um, I think it's. I think people are more likely to be influenced what by um, what people in the public eye wear because those people are photographed in their real lives, and sometimes not obviously. Like sometimes they're photographed in magazines, but you know, a lot of the time you see will see a celebrity just walking down the street and they might have i don't know like a kind of iced coffee you know that you might have you know it's it's i think there's there's a certain level of relatability to those images that a catwalk image doesn't have is there um 
are, are there clothes is there clothing that fits certain ages i remember a period of time in my life and in the early days mm-hmm. of my life and i'm i'm kind of old Lawrence, so i go back a ways <laughs> but I, I remember when you could almost tell how old someone was by what they were wearing. Has, mm. has that changed dramatically in the last, say, 10 or 20 years? That's an interesting question. I, I hope so. I'm a big believer in the, the idea that you should just wear whatever you want, whatever age you are. Um, and I think... I mean, there was a time in my life where there was a time in my life where you didn't wear a cardigan sweater unless you were over forty or maybe (laughs) fifty. Yeah, I think those things. I mean, obviously, I'm talking from you know being in London and kind of just sort of from what I see on the street and and everything. Yeah, but I would say, yeah, I would say there's definitely a change. Like, um, for example, we had a heat wave uh, last week. And um, my neighbour, who is, I don't know, she must be in her mid-50s, I would say, she was just walking around in a miniskirt. And I just thought that was brilliant. But it's, there's a kind of, um, I think there's more um, acceptance that there aren't those age brackets anymore. Um, or certainly on the surface, I think those things are always kind of underlying and people always, there's a sort of like level of judgment that comes with wearing a certain thing at a certain age. Um, probably more for women than men. Well, especially like spandex. Yeah, spandex, short skirt. There's a um, certain a certain age colors. or a certain size where spandex just doesn't work. Well, I mean, I would say, I mean, I as I said, I'm just a big believer in just wearing whatever makes you feel happy. So if if spandex at sixty uh, makes you happy, then I say go for it. <laughs> Well, but isn't that one of the reasons some of those fashion statements by um, more mature, uh, a more mature public, doesn't that have a lot to do with how we relate to age now when we say, like, for example, 60 is the new 40? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think... Doesn't clothing have a lot to do with that? Yeah, I mean the fact that the the fact that those things have changed, I think, has a lot to do with those with those um those kind of little buzzy phrases. Right. The fact that it is more acceptable, whereas there was definitely I I think you're probably right. I mean, I don't really remember that when I was younger, but um, I I you know just from sort of looking at pictures and stuff, you could definitely tell how old someone was in a picture by the clothes that they wore. Yeah, it, um, it, you didn't see people over the age of 30 wearing jeans. Mm. Wow, yeah, that is such such a change, isn't it? I mean, everyone wears jeans now. Yeah, I, I mean, that um, that's I one think. of the most significant changes um, over the last century. Um, yeah. You know, it just, you would never see grandma in jeans. Yeah, they just Actually, wouldn't thinking happen. about that, thinking about that, my grandma, who, um, well, she died a few years ago, but she was 96 when she died, and I never saw her in a pair of jeans. <laughs> and, and that was so, the norm. Yeah, but yeah it's, exactly. But so, it's not anymore. No, definitely not, definitely not. 
This is this is fun. Um, when you're writing uh, as as senior fashion writer for the Guardian, are, do mm-hmm. you report mostly on on the news things, the new fashions, the new trends, or do you get to pan a little bit? Um, I, well, I have to say, <laughs> my favourite things are when I get to pan a little bit. Um, <laughs> so when I get to talk about like something that's kind of uh, not just in the news cycle. So um, I'm trying to think of a good one that I've done recently that's a bit like that. Um, oh, I wrote something about, um, I don't know if you would have heard of her, but um, this woman called Jordan, who was um, a big kind of punk muse to um, Vivian Westwood. Um, and there's a new film coming out where she's a character in it. So I got to kind of write all about her and her kind of, um, I guess, like real like rebellion that she did. She kind of... Um, expressed through what she wore like she would wear um sort of um like crazy pvc trousers and corsets and sort of all these crazy kind of outfits on the commuter train going to work from uh, like a little town outside london like surrounded by businessmen <laughs> with a big mohican so um yeah it was <laughs> writing about something like that uh, <laughs> yeah those are my kind of favorite pieces really when you get to do a bit of a deep dive are, are we seeing a big change in in women's fashion in the wake of uh, the the hashtag Me Too movement? Um, well, yeah. I mean, I suppose what I, what we were talking about just now about the sort of um, the sort of ageism in fashion. Uh, I think the kind of the pushback against that is part of the sort of Me Too movement. Um, but I was thinking I there was a time when, um, you know, new fashions, especially on the catwalk, were designed in a way to have a tremendous amount of sex appeal for men, but yeah. especially for women. And I just wonder if that's if that's changing because of a changing sensibility. I think it's just different. I think it's um, because, you know... Sex appeal is one is, is something that clothes will always be able to sort of serve. So and then and a device for and I but now I think it's more about making clothes for for women to feel sexy themselves, as it were. So rather than kind of clothes that sort of fit into an idea of what men think are sexy, it's kind of more about a sort of um, clothes that make women feel good. I think. Well, I'm thinking about um, some of the changes announced recently by uh, Victoria's Secret. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was an interesting story last week, I thought. And, and, um, I, and I wonder if we're going if, if to start seeing that more and more, and if that kind of makes its way to the catwalk as well. Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, it, since so um, that story broke, didn't it, like last, last week? And then soon after that, I don't know if there's a big... Uh, brand here called Marks and Spencers, um, where lots of British women buy their underwear. And um, like almost like a day after that was uh, that Victoria's Secret story came out, they um, came out with a similar campaign with with, um, lots of kind of diverse women of all sorts of, um, you know, shapes, sizes, um, and across kind of different races. Um, so yeah, I think it is a change that we'll see. I mean, there's all there's already kind of in terms of um, sort of 
uh, well, I mean, I think there's two things. There's already a kind of, um, I think designers are more conscious of not making women into kind of objectified objects so much anymore. I mean, there's still obviously some that do that. But also I think there's, uh, there's a sort of shift to different body types. Um, so we've seen the rise of sort of several really like beautiful, amazing uh, plus size models um, like Paloma Elessana, um, and, um, oh, I've completely forgotten her name. Uh, she's in, uh, the Versace campaign. Um, but there's, there's two, there's a couple, there's actually, there's a few more than that. Um, but kind of that, uh, that really sort of, you know, change the game because it's, it's ridiculous that there's only kind of so-called size zero women right, or, right. in these, um, in these, in these catwalk shows, um, but for such a long time. My guest is Lauren Cochran, senior fashion writer at The Guardian and author of The Ten, The Stories Behind the Fashion Classics. But this is not your first book, is it, Lauren? Well, I've, no, I've done two previous books with um, the Design Museum in London, um, one of which was, um, was 50, the last one was 50, um, 50, 50 style, style icons that, that, that changed the world. Right. Yeah. So that was the last one that I did. Um, and that was uh, that was really fun to do. There's lots of kind of um, I suppose there's, there's lots of obvious ones in there, um, like sort of Kate Moss and Audrey Hepburn and Twiggy and people like that. Um, but then you've got kind of slightly less uh, uh, obvious ones that um, you might not kind of have heard of. So like Peggy Guggenheim is in there, uh, Tina Chow. Um, well, Grace Jones is definitely a style icon, sort of undisputed. She's on the cover. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It was fun to write. I bet. I bet it was. Mm. Um, we just have a couple of minutes left, Lauren, and I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about your, you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? I don't have a website. I have, I'm on Instagram, so um, they can find me there. My, my handle is Lauren underscore Cochran Lauren. Sorry, <laughs> Lauren underscore Cochran underscore. That's what it. That's what it is. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm on. The, I'm on the Guardian as well. I have a page on the Guardian website. Well, what's what's next for you, Lauren? Well, yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, I'm um, at the moment in the midst of um, sort of working on this book, the kind of release of it, and uh, sure. and doing that, and then we'll see. We'll see what what comes next. Um, yeah, hopefully something interesting. <laughs> well, it's been a real privilege uh, getting a chance to chat with you a little bit, Lauren. Thanks so much for spending this time with me this morning. Well, it's afternoon no for it you. An absolute pleasure. It's afternoon for me. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't have to get up early to do it, which is probably I, I good. didn't. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> Lauren, thanks so much, and uh, keep up the good work. Oh, thank you. Thanks for chatting. Take care. Again, that was uh, Lauren Cochran. She is a senior fashion writer at The Guardian. Her new book is uh, called The Ten, The Stories Behind the Fashion Classics, and it looks at T-shirts and miniskirts and hoodies and jeans, a lot of things that uh, you might not expect, and uh, she's a lot of fun. We're going to take a short break and let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. 
we got lots more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead, so don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse, we will return. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? 
Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I'll give you an idea of what kind of family mine is. I did this is a true story. About nine or ten months ago, I did something I'd always wanted to do. I cashed in all my frequent flyer miles. I took everybody in my family to Hawaii. Thirteen people thinking this would be the vacation of a lifetime. It ended up being the Clampets go to Maui. Because you get my family together, there is an empty Kmart somewhere. They showed up at the airport. They were using coolers and grocery bags for luggage. Skycap was like, which one's yours, a Samsonite? They were like, no, we got the igloo with the duct tape on it and the five Piggly Wiggly bags right there. In the ticket counter, I asked my mother, I said, Mom, would you like to sit next to the window? She goes, oh, I better not. I just had my hair fixed. (laughs) And on the plane, the movie they were showing on the plane was Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Five minutes into this movie, my brother turns to me and goes, you know that ain't them dogs' real voice. My sister got mad. Well, thanks for spoiling it for everybody else. And we were staying right on the beach. In fact, the whales were migrating through. You could stand on the balcony and watch whales come up out of the water. First morning there, my brother's out there going, boy, I wish I had a gun with a scope on it. How much does it cost to mount a whale? Anybody know? I'd have to get a bigger trailer, I'll tell you that. And you could tell which rooms were ours. Ours were the ones with the underwear hanging off the rail. And according to the manager, the site of the only peeing for distance contest they had ever had. Which I am ashamed to say, my Aunt Rose won in the second round. We are a classy bunch. My Uncle Doug kept asking, when are we going to convert our money to Hawaiian money? Because <laughs> this is the same Uncle Doug. We went to a luau. You know how they always ask people to volunteer to hula dance? Oh, Doug volunteered. Halfway through the dance, we all realized Doug's not wearing any underwear underneath his hula skirt. <laughs> we asked him about it later. He said, well, when I went to put that skirt on, I noticed I had a hole in my drawers and I didn't want to embarrass myself. Dang, Doug, you thought this out. <laughs> and they're my family. I love them. They're good people. They just don't get out much. <laughs> Mainly because of that no shirt, no shoes rule. <laughs> they love that hotel, though. God, they stole everything from that place. <laughs> they stole the ashtrays while we were checking in. Didn't even dump the sand out of them. Just picked them up and walked out with them.
stole everything. I mean, you get out of the shower, you're drying off with toilet paper because they have the towels in the Piggly Wiggly bags. And one day, one of the maids made the mistake of going to lunch and leaving her cart out in the hall. They were on that like a pack of dogs on a three-legged cat. Picked it clean. I asked my brother later on, I said, what are you going to do with 180 shower caps? He said, Christmas present. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 